Your brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back into our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now, here is the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome, everybody. All right. Today, we're talking about living with a depressed partner. You know, there's a great deal of information available about depression. But when you live with a depressed person, it can be so painful, so difficult. You know, antidepressants are the number one prescribed medication in the country, but they are not a panacea. That doesn't. That means they're not going to solve everything. And so many with depression continue to suffer. Or at least have symptomatic periods. And so in this in turn really affects anyone who loves them and plays a role in their life. And it can be really, really difficult when the person with depression is your kid or your partner. And so many parents feel it's their duty to rescue their adult children or uh, rescue their uh, sibling or rescue their partner. And, and But the feeling of helplessness also prevails when you live with a depressed person. And it may not be healthy to feel it's your duty to rescue a partner. How, you know, if you really think about it, can you really control how inso- how someone chooses to feel? You know, the, the, the ingredient of depression that's there, the, the, the pervasive part of it, the logical part of depression is a person who basically has uh, 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 unmet expectations by others or themselves. And oftentimes they have an emotional attachment of failure that is attached to the depression. And so that expectation, when it's not met, they have a reaction to that. And it's a failure narrative. And that narrative is strong. And it's got a lot of resentment attached to it. Now, if you change that thought disorder from an expectation that cannot be met or is inhuman or is over-controlling and move it to a preference where I prefer instead of I expect, then what we have is an idea of not having a failure narrative and actually having influence over something that could have caused us depression, but now we have a, a healthy take on it. By a preference, and you can communicate a preference all day long and never offend anybody. So, you know, the thought disorder drives the depression, and that's that expectation aspect. If you want to be a person who enjoys their life, has a relaxing life, does not challenge themselves with pockets of depression, then at least try to change your thoughts from expectations to preferences. Now, the bottom line is. You know, with people, you know, that have depressed partners, especially for men, uh, they feel helpless. And it's especially common. Generally, men are fixers. And when they hear of a problem, their reaction to it is to fix it. But depression is not so easily fixed because depression causes a person to begin to make 
all of their decisions based on how they feel and they don't feel very good. And so the bottom line is when someone's depressed, they spiral down deeper and deeper, deeper into the depression, something because they're making emotional decisions and taking away from their consistency, their integrity and their life by making feeling based choices and becoming very inconsistent. You know, for instance, you may wake up in the morning and go, "Okay, I'd like to work out today. And then I don't feel like working out today. So a depressed person is going to lean on I don't feel like. As a matter of fact, a lot of what they say, and you can tell a depressed person, is I feel, I feel, I feel. You hear I feel statements in their dialogue. That tells you that depression is there and it's pervasive. But with men who are fixtures, they try to, to fix. But depression is not easily fixed. And so as a result, they feel helpless and they feel frustrated. And this can really complicate the process because now they become depressed joining their depressed partner. You know, for women who have a depressed partner, it's common to feel like uh, the connection between partners is missing and inhibited. And if the depressive symptoms lead to withdrawal, the female partner may feel shut out. And so the feelings and thoughts of a depressed person is difficult to share, which might compound the problem and leave the partner feeling there's a lack of communication because they shut down emotionally and for worse some men turn depression into anger and they may be easily irritated with their depressed partner and therefore further exacerbation of the problem you know and when depression is around it can be around for months for weeks for days for years and it all depends on their genetic makeup also because depression is not just a thought disorder depression runs in the family and that's why medication is so important. If you think about it, medication is very simple. Uh, an SSRI basically is loaded with dopamine and serotonin. And what's happening is a depressed person's amygdala, which sits right around the brainstem, is got super highways. That means that it's really easy to make emotional choices, all sitting around the amygdala. But the highways to the prefrontal cortex, which is where, where our executive functioning is, our logic is, that part of the brain has got back roads and alleys. And so what happens is as a depression goes deeper into the person's brain, the amygdala strengthens and the prefrontal cortex dies down. Therefore, if we add an SSRI, it's going to reinforce the highways, those little back roads and alleys that are going to the prefrontal cortex will turn into freeways and interstates. And that will allow the prefrontal cortex to get the flow uh, and be able to have the neurological highways in order to over power the amygdala. The amygdala is meant to motivate us. It's not meant for us to think. The prefrontal cortex is what makes us human. And so we have to build those highways. And that's what medication does. It's it's a very targeted, it's got neuroblockers, and it takes that dopamine and serotonin directly where it's needed, which is the prefrontal cortex, and it rebuilds all those interstates. So now we can get back to being ourselves. Over six months, eight months or a year, if you want to get off it, you taper off very slowly over a two-week period, and the 
brain will make up the difference. And so if you don't do that and you just go off it, you will likely go into a withdrawal because your brain doesn't know where to baseline. But if you taper off it, the brain will baseline at the taper and then kick it back up to what the brain expects itself to make. And that gets you through depression. Now, there's supplements. There's the thing called SAM-E. That's big letters, S-A-M, capital, and then a, a dash and then E. And uh, you can take like 1,000 or 2,000 milligrams of that. And that is a shotgun effect. It's, it's, it's going to go all over the brain. It's not going to be directed to the prefrontal cortex. But it does help clear up a very mild, mild depression, maybe even some anxiety. You know, difficulties are all over when you're living with a depressed partner because symptoms like apathy, which is the opposite of love, and a partner's needs may not be met. So in a relationship, each partner will make attempts to feel love from their partner, but the attempts may be thwarted by the detachment from the depressive person, leaving the other partner feeling disconnected. And so the inability to feel pleasure can also contribute to a lack of sex, which can further complicate the problem. And as a result, the partner feels that their relationship needs are not important. And that leads people into apathy. And when you think about apathy as the opposite of love, you understand that that's often where a person lands when they've made a decision they don't want to be in the relationship anymore. So depression is a wrecking ball to a healthy relationship. And if you want to not treat it because of your own pride, uh, then you've got problems. You know, you're going to affect everything else in your life in a negative way if you're going to live with depression and you're too proud to treat it. You know, you don't have to go for medication. You don't have to go anywhere further than your general practitioner most of the time. Most of the time, they will prescribe you that at the lightest dose so that your brain can begin to metabolize it and use that antibiotic antidepressant to help you. You know, not, not only might the, 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 the partner or the parent feel helpless in regards to alleviating someone's depression, they may also feel as if they're a contributor. And in fact, because of distorted thinking, the depressed individual might believe their loved one is the reason why they're depressed. And so they will project their ugly feelings about themselves on their partner because they can't take responsibility for their own depression. But even when that's not the case, that parent or partner may experience an internal battle over what to say or not to say. And, and as mentioned before, you know, the partner may not express their feelings of neglect, fearing they'll contribute to the depressed mood of the other person. And that can further both issues, feeling neglected and feeling like a contributor to the depression. And so what does depression look like? Well, irritability is an ingredient of depression. Procrastination is an ingredient of depression. Depressed mood where you're having trouble because you have low energy, marked diminished pleasure in all activities, significant weight gain or loss when not dieting, or a decrease or increase in appetite nearly every day. And then we have insomnia or hyperinsomnia because we're worrying about the depression, which also comes with anxiety. So on the same, on two different sides of the same coin, one is depression and one is anxiety. The, the interesting part of depression is you're either anxious and feeling depressed because you feel like your life's out of control and you're living in fear 
Or on the other side, you're depressed and you're anxious because you're depressed and that's because you can't get out of bed. And so one or the other is going to take over at different times. You know, hyperinsomnia or insomnia, that that is a major cause of depression. Also psychomotor agitation or a diminished uh, psychomotor activities, meaning that we're slower than we normally are. Our concentration is hazy. We don't remember things as well. That's a part of depression. Also, feelings of worthlessness or excessive or, or inappropriate guilt can be a major ingredient of depression because we know we're not able to be fully present in where we are. And that's a problem with depression is we do what is called uh, uh, negative thinking or catastrophizing. Um, and what's that basically happens is we, we think ahead because we're depressed. We think ahead that the worst possible outcome is going to happen. And then we live as if that's the way it's going to be. And that's the way it ends up being because we've projected ahead or we've looked behind ourselves at all our failures and all our unmet expectations. And we look behind us and we become depressed because we've failed. And so either way, we're contributing to depression. But if you want to live life, you have to learn to be human. Here, present, in this moment, not anywhere else, just here. That's all that's required. And listening is the biggest component of being just here. Not talking, but listening, validating, allowing people to process emotion, irrational emotion, irrational projections, and rational thoughts about life. Let them talk. Let them go through that. It's important. With depression, it's really important to hear how someone is feeling. And, and so if you're a partner with someone who's depressed, let them vent. Let them vent through their feelings in order and don't try to fix it. Don't try to offer them what to do, but actually step back and understand that your job is to help them process negative emotions so they can manage them better. Also, the diminished ability to think or concentrate and indecisiveness. What do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? I don't know. You know where do you want to eat? I don't know. The indecisiveness is depression. And, and so people that have that inability to concentrate or be decisive, that is an ingredient of depression. And you need to understand that if you live with somebody who is depressed. Also, they often have thoughts of death or recurrent suicidal ideation. That doesn't mean they plan plan to have suicide, but maybe they do. Some people attempt suicide because they're in deep pain and they feel like they're trapped in their depression. Or also some people have a specific plan for suicide. So, you know, if you think about it, when people are suicidal and they start to feel better and they all of a sudden they're giving things away and, 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 uh, and being happier, oftentimes that's a really scary moment because they are planning their own death and they're relieved that they're not going to be in pain anymore. And so they've projected suicide on themselves and they're feeling better about it. You know, there's a whole lot of symptoms that come along with depression. Uh, the lack of sex drive, angry outbursts, irritability, withdrawal. You know, people experience different symptoms of depression and one's 
uh, one person's depression might appear different than other people's depression. And it may seem like a hopeless situation. You know, many, many people struggle with whatever they're being uh, supportive of or enabling. And some people believe tough love is needed. So being supportive and loving may appear to allow the depressed person to remain stagnant. You know, pushing too much can lead to a conflict and further withdrawal because they don't feel like it and they feel like a failure because they're not meeting your expectations of them to do tough love and to do the hard thing. You know, sometimes it has to come back in dribbles, but the bottom line is, you know, 60% of an antidepressant uh, can be resolved in a 20-minute brisk walk. That's what helps the brain is exercise, cardio, 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 but they don't feel like it. And so they sit and wallow in depression, you know, and it seems like it's hopeless, but action, action is the main ingredient to what solves depression. And then checking in with how you feel after you've taken action, not before, you know, but the bottom line is there's a lot of research and exercise, meditation, 20 minutes of unblocked sunlight, medication, dietary changes, as well as a whole number of natural remedies like SAMe um, can, can help you. And so, you know, it's more more than just suggesting what can help. The loved one can engage in the new behavior, you know, take on exercise and then invite the depressed person to join you. Do the things that they need to do to heal and maybe they will follow you and do the same. But you want to take care of yourself. Someone is dealing with a loved one who has mental illness. That is challenging. But if you decide to go into their depression and you join that depression because you're feeling feeling hopeless with how they're feeling, then all of a sudden you're joining it and you're diving into their uh, their mental health, which is going to become your mental health. You know, be supportive. You know, cognitive distortions as well as uh, lethargy involve depression and they lead to negative perceptions and irritability. And then all of a sudden we develop this negative narrative and collect information to make ourselves right that our negative narrative about other people or something or our depression is all we ever think about. So we collect evidence only to support our perception of the truth. And if we do that, we tend to find ourselves in a box that makes us depressed. All right, we're going to take a break and we're going to come back and we're going to talk more about depression and how to live with these crazy people. I'm not meaning that they're crazy. There's a lot of people that are depressed. So come back. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. It's time to serve, learn, change the world. 
Tune in each week for the power of young people to change the world. Hosted by NYLC's CEO, Amy Muirs. The program is a forum for both young people and the adults who love and support them. We make connections with others through stories of change, partnership, and new perspectives of issues facing the world today. Be sure to join us every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time or anytime on demand on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about living with a depressed partner. Oh, you know, you know, oftentimes with people who are depressed, they also are irritable and angry. And they will project on you how they feel about themselves. But here's the deal. If you're going to be a partner of somebody who's depressed or you're going to be uh, have a depressed child, you have to understand that they're going to be projecting a lot of negative things on you. And at that time, you also need to understand that you do not take anything personally. Much of what is being directed to you is a result of depression and distortions and perception and thinking. So the ability to look at situations in a detached and objective way is really the heart of Eastern thought and psychological growth. Growth. You know, even uh, Abraham Maslow, who formulated the theory based on the hierarchy of needs, notes that it's part of sexual, uh, self-actualization. Also, Aaron Beck and Albert Ellis, who worked with depressed patients and developed the cognitive behavioral therapy and rational emotive behavioral therapy, uh, pr- promote it as a strategy of psychological health. So Eastern thought looks at compassionate detachment as enlightened trait to strive for and compassion passionate detachment is being able to empathize rather than sympathize with someone who is depressed. Empathy. That means you stand up on top of the mountain after they've jumped off and you say, I'm here to help you. I'll throw you a rope. It's not I'm going to jump down there and break my legs and join you or die. You know, they, they, they want you want to feel empathy or compassion while not getting drawn into the perception of the reality that they have of their own depression. And you can do what you can without attaching to, to an expectation to it. So you just back off and you validate and you understand and you be the alternative and invite them to be an alternative to their depressive behavior. Being supportive also includes moderation. But you gently push your, your loved one to do what is good for them. And this includes invitations to join in activities, attempts to get the depressed person involved in exercise, or some of the above uh, prior discussions that we've had in this episode of doing healthy things for each other. So the biggest deal as a partner or somebody who's a parent of a child who's depressed or a friend who's depressed, the biggest deal 
is not solving it. It is listening. Listen, listen, listen. Be heard can be incredibly curative. Communication is how we connect. And many with depression, the feelings of isolation is deafening for them. And the ability to listen and not offer a quick fix can be of tremendous benefit. And this is something that you want to do to help a person who is depressed in your life. You want to be love. And this may be difficult and sound corny, but if you aren't following the suggestions, you are already being love. You know, Maslow suggests that most people seek therapy as a result of deficiency in their love. Belonging needs, you know, mood disorders, of which depression is a more chronic form of, dysthymia, which is like Eeyore, um, are a part and most common with psychiatric diagnoses. So, you know, if Maslow is correct, love may be the least part of the solution. You know, the love's tug of war is 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 is, uh, is a book, and putting real love first is difficult due to our own ego needs. But the ability to do so can be rewarding. In fact, you can use this to move forward in your own self actualization and enlightenment as a path, as a part. Love should be the difficult strategy when you don't know what to do. That means you know how to be compassionate and you know how to show empathy and you're not trying to solve it for them. You try to be separate from that and be the person that is there to support them. When you find a married person who's depressed, chances are pretty good you'll also find an unhappy marriage. You know, according to to a study in Boulder at the University of Colorado, a spouse's level of depression is really a good indication of marital satisfaction. And the burden of living with someone who has mental health problems takes a toll on both partners. You know, major depression is widely misunderstood, and it's biologically based uh, disorder that appears in a variety of disguises before it's been diagnosed and it can appear as irritability, moodiness, changes in personality and it may manifest itself differently in men and women. In men, depression often includes increased anger, irritability, alcohol, drug use. Women, well, you know, it's withdrawal, tearfulness, lack of energy, inability to concentrate, always feeling like a victim, getting angry, uh, feeling misunderstood. That's what you're going to see in, in most females. You know, they want control, but they don't feel like they're in control. And once again, that's because the amygdala is running the show and we don't have enough dopamine and serotonin to get the delivery of the packages to the prefrontal cortex for it to do its job. You know, but when these kinds of behaviors enter a marriage, healthy spouses tend to take it personally and they may question whether they are part of the problem. And they may wonder if it's their fault because their partner's blaming them for everything. However, you have to understand that depression is hopelessness and life is faith-based. And if you're going to live in fear, you're going to be depressed. Life is one leap of faith after the other, consistent leaps of faith. You take a leap of faith and you enjoy and learn from that journey experientially rather than have expectations of perfection. Perfectionism is depression, by the way. We're not perfect. We don't live in a perfect world. Reaching perfection is nearly impossible. And so the the bottom line is all of us have to learn how to accept good enough. Yes, we can get things close to perfect. We can get it in the ballpark. But that's the majority of the things we do in this life. We don't have the time necessarily unless it's a really hard problem 
for perfection. Sometimes we just got to get it there in the ballpark. If you're a perfectionist, you're a depressant. You're a depressed person. You know, the hallmark of major depression is a loss of interest in activities that are, that are used to be enjoyable. They used to be stuff that we had fun doing. But once we add the ingredient of perfectionism, then we put procrastination. And with procrastination, we don't get things done. And then we feel like a failure, you know, and it sucks. But, you know, you have to understand that a marriage can be destroyed by the idea that you submit yourself to depression. And if you combine that with a, a, a victim social withdrawal mentality and then physical affection starts to diminish as well, you know, understandably, spouses of depressed people often experience their own depression. And they, you know, and it's really important to help your spouse come to the conclusion that they are depressed. It's affecting our life and we need to do something about it. You know, if you suspect your spouse is depressed, the most important action you can take is to help him or her get the diagnosis and get the treatment. And that may just be therapy depending on what degree of depression the person has. You know, it's once again, it's a thought disorder that's very rigid in there. But there's also, once again, the lack of dopamine and serotonin. So if they're not doing exercise and therapy, there's a good chance that that person is is going to remain depressed to some degree. You can change your thoughts. And if you change your thoughts, that's great. And if you start doing more action that's healthy, that's great, too. And that may dig you out of the hole. But if you're in a deeper depression and it's really launched in there and it's really stuck, then that's time for medication. Um, You know, if your partner refuses to seek help, you should treat the illness the same way you would an alcohol or drug problem and step up the intervention. You mean to go go as far as to threaten to move out if your partner doesn't get help, and that's especially appropriate if you have kids, since research has shown that one of the most significant factors in raising mentally healthy children is to have mentally healthy parents, and often that understanding alone can compel a spouse to get help. Another important step along the way is to take care of yourself. That's huge. Be sure to get enough sleep and exercise. Eat healthy. If you detect that you may be suffering from symptoms of depression yourself, follow the same advice you would offer your depressed spouse. You also may uh, do uh, do good by self-help books. You know, David Burns wrote The Feeling Good. It's, it's very helpful. It also focuses on changing thought processes and patterns that accompany depression, such as all or nothing thinking, perfectionism, taking things too personally, dwelling on negative feelings from the past and overgeneralizing. You know, we tend to uh, like to say people should or I should do this or I should do that. Well, you're shooting all over yourself or I must do this or I must do that. Then you're masturbating. You know, you have to be very careful with what we uh, uh, program our brain to think like because it can contaminate everything in all of our relationships in our life and it can dictate our destiny if we allow depression to do it. It will take over if you allow it. You know, the prognosis uh, 
prognosis for depression is often good once it's diagnosed, though it can take three to six months to achieve significant improvement. 80 to 90% of the cases can be effectively treated. And as you and your spouse confront depression, remember your vows and understand mental illness among the worst because it's intangible. You cannot see it. And that's what makes depression hard to get to. It makes people very stubborn. It makes them very egotistical. They have a lot of defense mechanisms around it. And some people that are depressed just hang on to it like the most important thing in their life and they hide behind it. The sad thing is when you do that, you lose your soul. And that is too costly for some stupid mental disorder that can be fixed to allow yourself to live in that state. In today's world, it can be really hard to find all the important things you must do in a day. But if you're going to walk through life with depression, you're deciding to walk through life with a chip on your shoulder, a sadness, an emptiness, and a life that really every moment of it is like you're trying to swim through syrup. You know, and, and if you're going to live with depression, your activities are going to be uh, less enhanced. There's going to be less uh, uh, problem solving. There's going to be less uh, functioning. There's going to be less enjoyment. And if you want to live like that, you can. But if you know you can treat it, which you can, it's the most treatable mental illness there is, then treat it. Don't subject your partner and your children and your friends and your job and everybody else in the world to your depression. Treat it. Treat it. And also sleep better. You know, half of all people, in, at least in the United States, experience insomnia a, a few nights a week. And it's a trend that's wreaking havoc on our minds and bodies because of this stupid COVID thing that we've been through for the last couple of years. You know, uh, but symptoms of insomnia in, in include uh, difficulty falling asleep, waking up during the night, waking too early, waking, feeling tired. This poor sleep can lead to decreased energy, impaired memory, poor judgment, and also, also the decrease in overall health and immune system, which can also throw us into depression. Also, there's increased blood pressure, physical pain, along with stress, anxiety, irritability, and all of that goes into a depressed state. So, you know, if you don't get enough sleep, you're walking on the edge of depression already. You know, the causes can range from poor ventilation in your bedroom, physical disorders such as sleep apnea. You know, for most people, the solutions are simple and they center on developing good sleep hygiene, habits that help maintain and prevent. You know, so what does that look like? You know, set up your environment, set up your diet, set up what you're drinking at night to be something that distances you from the time you go to sleep. If you take melatonin, which is uh, uh, what our brain releases as babies that makes us sleep, we lose that as we get old. That's why old people wake up at 4 a.m. and uh, and they're bright and, bright and happy because they don't have much melatonin to keep them asleep. So as we get older, we lose it. You might want to think about adding melatonin to your supplements. Here's the deal though. Take it at night in the dark. Do not take it during the day. Do not take it when there's light. Do not take it while you're watching television. Take it in the dark and let your brain resonate with the melatonin. So the melatonin, the brain says, okay, there's light. That means it's daytime. I don't need melatonin. If it's dark, the brain registers at his nighttime and melatonin can be released. So if you take that supplement, take it in the dark. Also, 
Set up routines that give you good sleep hygiene, a certain bedtime, and guarantee yourself you're going to make that bedtime. You know, oftentimes to end insomnia, you need to develop new behavioral patterns. And that includes establishing a regular bedtime, get up and sticking to it, and uh, avoid naps, engage in relaxing activities before bedtime. And many people are surprised to learn that just like watching TV before bedtime, reading is also uh, a bad idea. Both activities activate the, an area of the brain that must be relaxed for sleep. So instead, consider a hot bath or meditation or relaxing, like maybe uh, yoga. You know, if you can't fall asleep within 15, 20 minutes, get up, get up. And try a mellow activity for a short time and then go back and try. Don't just lay there staring at the ceiling. You know, during the day, you want to be sure to exercise, especially if you work in an office all day. 15 minutes can help you relax more easily at night and sleep longer. Also, in your environment, you want to make sure your environment is clean and and not something that you're always worried about. You also want to consider anything in your bedroom that may be contributing to disruptions. You know, it's full of distractions like a home office or a stack of work awaiting for your attention. It's well, you want to make sure your bedroom's well ventilated and a comfortable temperature for sleeping. Also, the covers that you have may be too hot or too cold, so you may want to think about changing those. You know, it's possible to reserve your bedroom for sleep. That's what the bedroom is for. And and that will help program your body to begin to unwind when you enter it. If you obsess about the time, move your clock so it's inaccessible and not easily viewed. If you worry about waking your partner, try sleeping alone while you break the insomnia cycle. Also, caffeine and nicotine also contribute to sleep loss. And why are we talking about sleep loss? Because sleep loss is the main ingredient to being depressed. It comes with it and it comes before it and it can come after it. If you're an overthinker, this is a problem. So nicotine and caffeine should be gone three hours before proceeding to go to sleep. Avoid drugs and alcohol. You know, they, they carry uh, the, the dependency factor, but also they diminish your sleep quality, your ability to dream. See, your dreams are what resets your brain for the next day. Your brain processes during the dream repressed emotions of the previous day. And so that those emotions that never got to be released, the brain concocts a dream of all kinds of weird things and weird people and all kinds of situations to elicit those emotions that we need to release. And then from that, we're able to reset and be fresh into the new day. You know, if if adapting to good sleep hygiene, you continue to struggle with insomnia, you probably want to get something like a sleep study to see if there's something that you haven't identified that is getting in the way of you getting sleep. You know, uh, um, Studies over the last five years also indicate that 30% of American companies, ranging from small businesses to big giant corporations, administer personality tests. And the personality tests expand nearly 10% in share. And those tests range various, uh, variously on IQ, handwriting, integrity, also more fundamentally uh, uh, psychological issues. Also, the Myers-Briggs test is often used, and that's got 16 different 
different components of what a person could be made up of. But those those guidelines can affect your ability to get a job based on how you test. If you're going to mess around with depression, it's going to affect your personality test. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Come back. We're going to talk about living with a depressed partner. Come back. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Unravel the mysteries of metaphysics every week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Join host Barb Crowley as she and her insightful guest share what's been learned behind the veil, going just beyond our five senses. Now you can see things with an entirely different point of view. Tune in for Metaphysics, a view through the veil, broadcasting live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Use it to explore your advantage and deeper understanding. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about depression and living with a depressed partner or child. You know, there's signs uh, that we need to recognize when someone in our life is depressed. Number one, there's usually mood shifts. Usually there's deep mood shifts, up and down, sometimes just down. But their mood shifts, and if that is not a normal behavior in them, that's a sign that depression is making its way into their life. Also, irritability and arguing and and defying, that is something that we find ourselves dealing with in depression. Here's the thing when you're dealing with a depressed person, the last thing you want to do is parent them. Treat them like a child because you're just reinforcing the depression. You know, if you're going to tell them, well, you need to do this and you need to do that or you did this, you did that, you know, holding them accountable for every little thing, being, you know, a real turd in their life is a horrible thing because you're making the person more depressed. So move out of the parenting mode and mood and move into the empathy mode 
It's an emotional disorder. Be emotional. Don't be logical. Don't try to solve their problem. Don't try to be their parent. No, we want to encourage them. We want to do healthy and model that. Be the model for them. You know, another sign of depression is they're tired or their energy is much lower than what it used to be. And their effectiveness is not as good. Their concentration level is not as good. So the people that are depressed oftentimes have a really hard time being as effective as they used to be. The other thing is sleep. And we talked about that extensively. Sleep can be affected because they sit around and worry about this, that, or the other. Or they stay up all night trying to... uh, 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 do something social media wise or trying to uh, play games or video games or whatever. They're trying to avoid their depression instead of trying to solve it. And so, you know, if it's difficulty also with them being inconsistent and not being able to, not wanting to attend things, not wanting to do things they usually did before, that's another sign that the person is depressed. And as we get older, we do struggle with depression in old age, which can show all of those signs and has a lot to do with the the, the uh, uh, geriatric state that we're in. And so people, if you're getting older, you got to take care of yourself unless you want to be eaten by depression because getting old is depressing in itself. You know, it's natural to feel uh, concerned or want to help your spouse if they live with mental health conditions. But self-care is also the biggest key for you. When someone you love is going through difficulties, you have to give them a healthy, safe harbor to come to. Don't dive in and join them in their depression or avoid their depression or get mad because they're depressed. You know, you want to support them and and you want to help, but you don't want to fill in every gap that they're not making. You know, sometimes you have to leave them with things. I I just can't get to this. I can't do that. I can't clean the whole house. I'm going to be able to do this. I can do this, but I can't do that. That's setting boundaries and you need to do that with a depressed person. But you have to attend to your own needs. That's crucial. You also have to set boundaries. That's crucial. Setting boundaries is not no. I can do this, but I can't do that. I can do this, but I can't do that. It's not a hard no. Hearing a hard no when you're depressed is like hitting a wall. You know, you need to take on your long-term challenges. You need to be looking at the long-term picture if you're the partner of a person that's depressed. You need to understand that they have trouble holding the course. And so you may have to take care of the big things that carry your family and your your relationship into the future in a healthy way. Sometimes we got to carry the load. Life's not fair. Fair is a place where they judge pigs. If you want fair and justice, you're not going to get it anywhere in life. Stop expecting it in your relationship. You know, some self-care strategies can help you navigate the waters. So when you live with the depression, it's tough. When you live with a partner or a child that is depressed, it is tough. But you want to keep positive. You want to look things in as, as positive and hopeful. You want to be as much faith-based to counter their fear-based uh, uh, position in life. It's very important for us to understand the flow of life does not work without us having faith. 
taking leaps of faith, taking chances, encouraging them to take chances, but also not joining their depressive behavior and us do healthy and model healthy so maybe they will begin doing healthy once again. You know, self-care may prevent you from developing symptoms of depression. It's also you're not joining the negative outcomes and the negative thinking that that depressed person is having. And it is also uh, understand that you are the buoy. You are what's going to pull up the depression by setting that example. If you join it, you make it worse. So do not try to um, let them whine and just be there as they whine. You want to give them empathy. I know you're hurting. I know it's tough. But you don't want to uh, join it. You don't want to be a part of it. You know? Strengthen your support. That is one of the ways you can help yourself when when your partner is depressed. If your spouse has depression or if your child has depression, you know, they may not be able to support you in the same capacity as they may have be capable of. So they may want to, but some, some of the symptoms of depression makes it a challenge. So it's really important to find people that have a lot in common with you and find them outside your relationship like close friends or family who can be there for you if you're facing challenges of your own. Also, uh, you also want to create new enjoyment spaces. If you want to take care of yourself and you're with a depressed partner or child, you know, enjoy with other people and other places to make you feel uh, better about yourself. You know, be able to connect and find joy in something that has passion and purpose for you and do that and do that as a matter of contra you know uh, it's developing a contradiction to the depression you also want to create new spaces to share with your spouse you know living with depression doesn't mean they can't experience you know joy and happiness even though it may be a challenge but if they're up for it consider inviting them to out to do something out of the ordinary reconnect with some activities that they used to enjoy and maybe take the temperature to see if maybe they can walk away from that depression you know the outcome of those moments may be helpful and it's natural if they have a difficult time and can't seem to have a good time. But in the, if this is the case, try to continue finding alternate spaces for you to enjoy by yourself or with other people if they cannot join you and they're just going to drag it down. You know, taking care of your mental health is essential. Caring for your physical health is essential. Don't skip meals. You know, eat eat nutri- uh, with you know nutrients. And get seven to nine hours of sleep. Keep physically active if you're the partner of a, a person who's depressed or have a child who's depressed and you want to limit your alcohol and your drug use. You know, mindfulness exercises may help you ground yourself, particularly if you're overwhelmed in a situation. So mindfulness is also an effective tool to manage anxiety and increase your sense of well-being. And there's also many ways to practice mindfulness. Uh, And these are just one-minute exercises like meditation. And you can use your phone apps and they can help you do meditation or yoga or deep breathing, even journaling. Journaling can be a wonderful help. You know, but you also want to find it helpful to talk to others who are going through the same experience that you are because they may share something healthy that you never thought of. 
you know, it may be helpful to uh, uh, also go to a local support group that may help you feel supported and discover ways to better help your spouse living with depression. You know, self-care may be as simple as going outside for a breath of fresh air when things become tense with your spouse and recognize they've got some mental disorder going on. Also learn to pause, call timeouts and time backs. Don't just call a timeout. That's not cool. Call a time back. You know, you're a better person than this. You don't need to, to, to be talking to me like this. Let's come back in a half hour and be adults and talk about our problems and talk about our feelings and don't project on each other. You know, there's no reason for you to say, you know, the, the sad thing is when people don't listen and they get built up in these stupid arguments, they start to say horrible things to each other because neither is listening. And so they begin saying, you're this, you're that, you did this, you did that. And they pull things out of the past that haven't been talked about in 20 years even. They'll bring it up and they'll throw it at you. And they do that because they're saying, you're not listening to me. So if you're starting to hear name calling and all kinds of crap when you're having conflict with each other, the bottom line is to back off, call a timeout, and call a time back, preferably the average of one year for every year of your life. One minute for every year of your life. Sorry about that. You know, if your spouse is irritable and experiences anger and they're hard to respond to and they're hard to be supportive of because they're consistently angry, you know, uh, it is very important for you not to join that. It's very important for you to help reflect back to them their mood, their temperament, how they're coming Coming across what they're saying to you, how they're how they're affecting you, and let them know that I have to take care of myself before I can take care of you. I need to take a break. I need to take care of myself. Um, you know, I'm not going to dive in because I don't have the energy to dive into this depression right now. You want to be very open. It can be hard to discuss the depression if your spouse is in denial, and you know, openly talking about what's going on might be helpful. You know, you want to point to what's worrying you and how they're acting. You know, and I know so you seem tired. You're not sleeping well. You're moody. You're, you're foul-tempered. You're saying things that you don't normally say. And you're tearing the fabric of our marriage apart, our relationship apart. Or you're tearing the fabric also of our children wanting to be a part of your life because of the way you're, you're, you're acting. Do you want to allow that to destroy your relationship with me and the children? Is that what you want? You know, come on, take care of it. That's your responsibility. Be the adult. Understand, depression is pervasive in our society. Everybody has degrees of depression. Everyone does. It's just how pervasive is it? And sometimes it is so pervasive that it's affecting everything and everything in your life to a negative extent. So as a partner, you want to be encouraging. You often, you know, uh, tell people who are depressed that they what they should do. They and and they struggle to in, to influence and do those things because we're telling them what to do. Don't tell them what to do. Make suggestions. Let them know this is what I do when I'm depressed. When I'm down, this is how I take care of myself. You know, it'd be good if you did that too because if you did take care of yourself, it would help all of us in this home. It would help anybody. It would help your friends. It will help you be more effective at work. Take on the depression and take responsibility for it and get better. And if somebody's not helping you, get them out of the way. If there's depressed people in your life, get them out of the way. We don't need to be surrounded by people who have the same problems we do. You know, 
also guilt and shame. You know, you got to deal with guilt and shame because guilt and shame can run your life and it steals from your joy. And what is joy? Joy is in your spirit. It's not happiness. It's joy. And so when people are depressed, they suck the joy straight out of your life. And so the thing is, you have to refill it and it's not going to come from them. And you've got to realize that. And so, you know, it's okay to have positive experiences. It's okay to decide I'm going to live today instead of one day. I'm going to live today. You know, that's important. It's it's possible to have a healthy relationship with someone who has depression. But you have to remember that the, the depression is treatable and you have to understand when it's pervasive and when it's not. And it's important to keep in mind that their recovery and progress are not up to you. It is only up to them because it's coming from them. And you have to let go of the expectation that you can make them happy again because you can't. You just can't. But, uh, you know, this is the way – this is what affects a relationship. And this was done in a 2015 study. But it, it takes an emotional toll if you're being with a depressed partner. It, romance and intimacy slips away. Communication gets horrible. Isolation, lack of energy, motivation, dependence on the relationship, a lack of understanding, uncertainty. All of these ingredients play a part in being with someone who's depressed. And so it's really important to recognize when that's happening and understand that you cannot join it. You need to influence it. That's the only control power we have in this life is to influence. All right. That's our show. I would like to thank everybody for listening. I love hearing from you. And you can do that at voiceamerica.com. The Empowerment Channel, Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Now, remember, when depressed, satire is your only hope. Also, being depressed is when you wake up to a nightmare. (laughs) If, If you were depressed, would you survive if you were dropped in the middle of a dangerous jungle? Also, depression is a first world problem. If you go to a third world, you're going to find that they cannot afford to be depressed. Thanks for listening, everybody. That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you. 